Welcome to Cyberbytes the podcast. I'm your host Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspron Search. This week's guest we have Chris Doman, co-founder and CTO at Kado Security. Chris was highly recommended to have on the pod, having had a colourful start as a teenage hacker. He's now on his second cybersecurity startup, having previously had a successful exit with ThreatCrowd, which was acquired by Alien Bolt, and now most recently has founded Kado Security with co-founder James Campbell, which is the first cloud forensics and instant response platform. How are you, man? Ah, oh, good. Great to be here. Thank you. Mate, I've been looking forward to this one. I, uh, I was doing a bit of research on you before saw you are on the circuit in terms of doing lots of pods and keynotes and dfir summit it's that time of year you know like in the summer where you like you're traveling every weekend and every week so i'm looking forward to the winter and just sing at home with a cup of tea yeah absolutely absolutely so you're london based are you yeah based out of guildford and then the offices in london so not too far away great 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 well we look chris with all my guests i like to, to take it all right back to where it all began how you got into the game and take it from there yeah yeah sure well, i heard um your interview with adam at push yep. similar stuff like you know started quite young and getting a little bit of trouble nothing too bad though um lots of coding and you know learning about security that kind of stuff so yeah pretty pretty early start but i used to run a website called groovy hack mm-hmm. terrible name but when i was like 13 that seemed cool there's a bunch of like security tutorials that kind of stuff some coding um I go to uni and then stopped doing computer stuff for a while just because I kind of got bored out of it after like 10 years. Um worked like a media company briefly. So kind of like a weird segue. Okay. And then ended up back in the industry um by kind of a weird route. Um and I've been here, I guess, another 10 or so years. So quite a sure just kind of kind of way, but it's, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What was the the competition that really sort of took it took it off for you? So you won a was it the US Army came over? Yeah, it was the DOD. They used to run this um, like forensics and kind of catch the flag stuff. So that was great that anyone in the world could enter. So it was a really mm-hmm. nice thing to run that program. It was a UK cybersecurity challenge. Kind of did it with that. Um, so, so yeah, I won like the individual part of that. And that was that was cool. And off the back of that, like I mean, back into the industry that I guess I was kind of interested in as a kid after. Before that, I was in like marketing for a while, doing like SEO and all these other kind of random things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back into cybersecurity, thanks to that. Nice. I uh, so on your LinkedIn, you've got like a bit of a a timeline of your sort of career to date. I think it was 2013. I saw an article, and it looked like there was a photograph of uh, you and a few of the guys. It looked like an apprentice photo, but it was called uh, "Hackers Hunting Hackers" or something like that. What what was that? I've still got that up, have I? Oh, yeah, yeah mate. It, and the picture's incredible. Yeah, I don't know if you know Chris McConkey runs like IR um, Instant Response at PwC. So he right. saw me. Um, after I won that competition in some paper, and he brought me in, um, like team member like three at the time. And the other people he brought in were also quite interesting people too. So a couple of people straight out of government doing really interesting stuff. Um, my co-founder, who's brought in two out of the Aussie government. Um, so interesting kind of mix of people. And someone must have pitched the Financial Times that this is an interesting thing that the boring people at PwC and suits, the accounts are starting to cybersecurity. So they had that kind of angle to it. Um, the journalist was clearly in love with Chris though. Um, so she, she wrote about how he was a very attractive person, which you know, we were very jealous about. Um, but no, that was great. That was nice. My mum has a picture of that, I think, somewhere hanging. Oh, out. it's a cracking photo, mate. I think I might get yeah. it up. Um, <laughs> so prior to, so before we get into Kado and learning a bit about what you're up to there, um, did you have another startup? So what was Threat Crowd? 
Yeah, so that's something I was doing for a while. It's like a threat intelligence platform. So it's a cool right. kind of graph. We like put an IP address, domain name, draws a kind of CSI cyber kind of classy thing. Um, so that was kind of fun, like side project I was doing for a while. But in the end, that got um, bought by Alienvolt. So they have yep. their own kind of platform. Then they got bought by AT&T. So that was kind of a good, um, I guess, practice running a, a cybersecurity product. Much easier when you do like a one-man band. You can make all the <laughs> mistakes there than, you know, make mistakes at a 50-person company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's dive straight into Kado. Can you give the audience uh, an idea of who you guys are, what you're up to? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, James and my co-founder, we met PwC many years ago doing IR, so responding to instance. Um, particularly, we found it was hard, though, if you get hacked in the cloud to work out what's happened. So that was a really interesting kind of painful problem we were seeing as people whose job was to help other people respond. It turns out, talk to you know, enterprises, so people at other kind of big companies, they're facing that same problem of, you're hacked to the cloud, what next? Um, no one really had very good answers. So we built this, this software platform to do it. it turns out um, the reason no one had done it yet was it was really hard. So all these insane <laughs> problems of like, so the amount of data you have to deal with and like all the different kind of file formats and stuff is crazy. Um, so it's quite a painful, you no know, like solid year getting past the technical challenges and eventually ends up with something pretty good. Um, and, that, and that's what we do now. Right? We, our software platform helps people do forensics to work what happened in the cloud and also can respond to, to those attacks too. So it's a very much a post-breach platform. Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot internally actually the last couple of weeks that when we talk about the mission of what the company is, it's also kind of what, what you don't do is what, what you do do. And um, we don't do detection. We don't do the proactive stuff where we tell people like there's vulnerability because frankly, that's a sole problem now. There's some fantastic companies out there. But actually, when you're having like, the worst professional day of your life, when you know, you've just been hacked and everything's on fire, maybe even talking to the police or other kind of things, yeah. it's a really bad one. You know, there's not much there to help you, actually. There's some old stuff that's like 20 years old that doesn't really work anymore in the cloud. Yeah. What's the, so obviously cloud forensics, because when I was at a previous business, I did a lot of digital forensics where it's like host memory-based type stuff. Like, How is it different? And can you explain it a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting where some of it's similar. So in the cloud, you can still get like a disk image. It's actually easier to get a disk image because you can just snapshot it, like no impact. Um, you can still pull memory. You can still do network forensics. So that's all somewhat similar. Just you want to keep that data in the cloud. Otherwise, it's really slow to like download to your laptop, et cetera. Some of the things that are different, though, is that you've got all the cloud provides specific kind of logging. It's like Amazon Web Services. They might not give you a bunch of logs. They might, depending on what you've enabled or what they're going to feel like doing. Um, and that's what been in the news a lot recently too. So we saw like the big Microsoft Exchange hacks, State Department got hacked. Um, it turns out that unless you paid Microsoft this extra logging, there's no way you're gonna find out that happens. Um, so there's a big controversy about that, but mm. I guess that's kind of different in the cloud. You have to have the logs sometimes, otherwise you just won't know. Yeah, yeah. What's root uh, cause engineering approach? So I saw that on your, your website, what is that? Yeah. Well, it's a mouthful, so I apologize. Mm, I, I, I probably, I probably <laughs> wrote that. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did get it right. Root cause engineering approach. That was yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely it. Yeah, and that was me that wrote that. It's a mouthful. Um, I mean, obviously, when you've been doing software engineering, a lot of it is around finding the root cause of problems. So if there's a bug and like you know something isn't working properly, you, you can fix the problem. It might be like one line of code. But the real reason is normally something more interesting and bigger, the cause of other bugs. It might be that... Um, you haven't written enough tests. It might be that someone on your team just hasn't got the right experience level in any given training. It might be some massive cultural issue. I mean, if you look at like why planes crash, they look at the root cause, right? And sometimes it's 
what looks like the problem is something bigger. Similar in the cloud, you just kind of find what the true root cause is. So you're going to work out how someone you know, got into your cloud environment, so you can get rid of them. They might still be there. Um, find out what it took, that kind of stuff. And you can also find other things too, like maybe you haven't got enough logging. Maybe there's some other massive gap there that you know isn't immediately obvious. And that's that's why it's important to find out you know, what really happened. Yeah, yeah. What what can like enterprises do before you guys are coming anywhere near them? Like what 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 advice would you give to to an enterprise? I mean, it's a lot better than it used to be for one thing, which is nice. In the cloud, like the just the built-in logging, the built-in kind of advice you get from the cloud buyers themselves is, is a lot better now. So if you go and do something silly like enable public access to S3 buckets. So enable public access to download, you know, potentially credit card data, all that kind of stuff, which, yeah. you know, like, like thousands of companies have done. Now they'll actually warn you and say, sure you want to do that. Whereas a few years ago, they wouldn't. So just they themselves are raising the bar, which is great. Uh, check your configurations, bunch of options there too on the kind of proactive side as well. So, you know, the commercial vendors, I think CSPM is the, is the Gartner acronym, but just looking at the configuration, um, really it comes down to make sure you've got the logs turned on in advance make sure you actually know you know what day is there you thought about just raising the bar there what are Kado doing to raise the bar because i can't imagine it's going to be too long before more and more startups are popping up i don't know if there are currently we won't plug them on this episode but uh yeah, <laughs> imagine there will be no it's really interesting time actually so I and mean, we started the company about three and a half years ago back mm. then it was just us um now i say the last three months we start to see a couple of like competitors come out of stealth and then also some of the, the really big providers actually start messaging like using the same kind of language as us too which yeah. is on the one side it's a good thing because it means we're making you know making impact we're definitely getting more you know people buying our stuff um but also you know it's a bit scary too right big competitors coming so it's an interesting time um in terms of what we're doing i mean we're, we're just trying to get the word out so i mean We've written got hundreds of blogs, you know, the last kind of year or two about this stuff to raise awareness. Mm-hmm. Just because everyone talks about what to do before the breach, no one talks about what to do during and after. And then we trying to help like education, unrelated to our product around you no know, planning for instance, creating instant response plans, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of the positive stuff we're trying to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. Out of all of the blogs and research and everything that you have done, is there any that like stand out as being notable or that you'd be happy to, to to talk just briefly through now. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I did a talk at the SANS um, DFIR Summit in the US about a month ago. That's on YouTube mm-hmm. now. That went down very nice. well. So I guess people liked it. And that was all about um, how in the cloud, it doesn't just have to be a log. So you can actually look at, I mean, with your experience, you get this, like you can look at the disk, you can look at the memory and how in the cloud you can still do kind of classic forensics as well. Nice. What um, would, would your client be mid enterprise is it large enterprise is it literally everybody like who's your sort of icp yeah i mean we've got a mix but mostly the people that care about forensics um the people that regulated so it's definitely the larger enterprise finance tons of insurance um lots of that kind of stuff people where they have a regulatory requirement to actually do an investigation and find the root cause um I think also the, the other side that some of us don't actually really want to know the root cause sometimes that can cause problems <laughs> but you know if like you know the SEC says you have to or the government says you have to then that definitely helps us on the, the kind of business side yeah you mentioned your relationship with James from from PwC um how on earth have you got the 29th Australian Prime Minister on the board <laughs> how did that uh, how did that come about 
Yeah, Malcolm's friendly a couple of times, a couple of times I got to meet him. James knows him better. Um, so James's old job, he used to run instant response for um, a large part of the Australian Signals Directorate, so kind of the GCHQ of Australia. Um, and a large part of that would involve briefing prime ministers. So he's met quite a few of them. But this one came by mutual contact. So um, as happens with a lot of like big politicians, they're friendly with a bunch of investors and mutual investors. So he's both an investor from their company and also an advisor as well. Um, he's been good to talk to about things like, you know, how do we talk to government uh, regulated kind of industries? He used to run like, I think he ran like Goldman Sachs in Australia, a bunch of like commercial stuff too. Mm -hmm. Just good for all that. Um, he won't do introductions though. He's got a very firm ethical line, so that's good. Uh, but he's just been a value add, which is good. Yeah, nice. So up to about 50 heads now, how have things evolved over the last three and a half years for you? Was, was you guys just in the bedroom or has things... Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I mean, three and a half years ago, it was the start of COVID. So that was mad. Wow, it was, correct, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we started the company the first week of COVID. Um, and we're there then meeting up at some drinks with like everyone in the industry, like, are you sure this is the right time? We're like, I guess so. Um, it turned out to be great, actually, because you know, obviously COVID was terrible. But um, it, it was a, a leveler, though, because it was just the two of us at first. And then you know, no one was going to conferences and those kind of things, but we could do all this like online stuff. We could reach out to people and that made the same level of the bigger guys. And then um, we raised our first investment round like six months in, second one, I think nine months in is a very short kind of space of time there. So it's just been a very fast kind of growth journey since then. Yeah. Who, who did you, um, did you fundraise with? What, what, what funds did you go with? Yeah. So our, our seed round, that was with 10, 11. Yep. um they yeah you know they do a bunch of cyber companies yep. right um and then a couple of the kind of like angels and old bosses um then we have blossom so they're like uk based but very europe focused then recently eurasio so they're based out of paris they're also kind of like european angle nice what was it like raising money for the first time because obviously the first startup was just sort of a side project and hustle yeah it's yeah very different way of doing it properly you know actually <laughs> building a proper business, honestly, it's scary. I mean, you're on the phone with people and you've never done this kind of thing before. And then um, everything seems so important each time. But at the same time, they're like the investors are so friendly that they've given us such great advice. Um, they want us to succeed and that really helps. It gets so much easier as well each time, frankly. Like, you know, before like the idea of pitching a VC was terrifying. Now it's just part of the job. Um, yeah. So, you know, you learn a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you've obviously got to 50 heads, I, I won't quiz you on the values that you've got on the website but how are you driving the culture particularly with like remote and i saw you moving out to the us as well with some some hiring going on out there how are you pushing for for a culture because obviously having the hacking background and being very techy is such a unique breed of person so i'm just curious as to to the culture you've got okay though yeah i mean it's a challenge honestly as everyone's found like going between like remote hybrid in person mm -hmm. we're generally hiring a bit more in person recently we okay. still have remote hires and you know, we love them and they're great in their case but you know it is just some things is easier in person um in terms of building that culture they're also pretty flexible to people's lives so we've got yeah, i won't go like our policies but we're basically pretty flexible then nice. us uk team um also challenge you because like engineering's all uk going to markets all us so you have both the cultural kind of change there Two different types of teams and also the culture and again actually spending the time with, with both teams is really important you know in person yeah. um but all the little things i mean we we talk a lot about our values so we remind the team of the values and those kind of things which is great but um the conversations recently with the team it's a lot more it's about setting the example than really it's um, mm -hmm. 
all those little conversations, the ones that don't seem important, where you actually set examples of the values are more important than going and describing what they are. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What's the uh, the future for Kado, Chris? Apart from you hibernating this winter, what uh, what's <laughs> happening? Well, like I said, it's a really interesting time for us because we're suddenly seeing a bunch of the competitors, a bunch of the big guys coming here. Our stuff is like a lot busier as well um, as part of that. So I don't know, it's going to be interesting. Um, the wider market is obviously changing as well. You know, things are on the uptick after quite a downturn because the wider could have set for the last year. So honestly, no idea. It's going to be pretty exciting. That A lot more is going to happen. Like the pace of everything has increased the last, being that it's the last month. Um, so yeah we'll, we'll see well, there's one thing that's definitely not going to happen and it's going to be a reduction in uh attacks and <laughs> cyber <laughs> breaches so uh i think you you're onto a good business uh proposition there but um chris wish you all the best of success with kado mate and uh i'll see you soon for that beer yeah see you soon thank you for listening if you've enjoyed today's show please like and share with your friends and colleagues as this is really important for the show's reach if you'd like to be our next guest or are interested in Aspiron Search's staffing solutions, please get in touch directly with me or reach out to us via our website, www.aspironsearch.com.